The Beer and Pretzel Podcast and Trash Talk Podcast are part of the Buttwide, though, and Podfix Networks. Check them out to hear more content from other great podcasters. Hello and welcome to the Beer and Pretzel Podcast. My name's Austin. I'm your main host and game master in this podcast. It's all about introducing players and ourselves to new one-shot role-playing games. We play them and we often talk to the game creator and do little reviews on the games that we play. Today I'm here with Alex Roberts. How long ago was it since uh, Starcross came out? I think that would have been February 2018. 2018, okay. Uh, sorry, 2018. I mean, um, we, we put it out on the 14th of February. Um, and it had been in development for like a couple years before that. I was probably thinking about that game like in like 2015. All, pretty much all role-playing games from talking to people, it's kind of like a screenplay or art forms like that. That's not like something that you can whip up like pretty instantly or anything. There's a ton of <laughs> a ton of development, um, I'm sure. And we'll talk about a ton of uh, playthroughs, just testing everything out before the final product could even go to Kickstarter and everything like that. Uh, but yes, recently, for anyone that's checked it out or if not, uh, check it out. The first part should be up already and our part two episode should be out in a couple of days where my fiance and I, Leah, played Starcrossed where I played a housefly and she was a Venus flytrap. And we had a fun time playing Starcrossed, and people should check that out. And there's a bunch of our people on YouTube and other podcasts that played Starcrossed. Um, but yeah, so first of all, Alex, uh, thanks for coming on the show and talking to me. Thank you for having me. This is fun. I'm glad to talk to you about this because this is... I love games that use the Jenga Tower. Um, we've played Dread before, and I've heard about this game, uh, different websites, anytime I was looking to new uh, one-shot indie role-playing games to test out. This usually was on them, which was great, and we just haven't gone around to doing it. Um, but I had the perfect opportunity this year to do it for a special Valentine's Day episode. Um, so, first of all, for anyone who has not heard our podcast or heard about Starcross. Can you go into what Starcross is? So Starcrossed is the two-player game of Forbidden Love. So uh, you always have two characters um, that you make up and you come up with reasons why they are super, super into each other. And then an important reason why they can't be together. So you put people into a Romeo and Juliet type situation um, and that could be absolutely anything. Um, like you could literally just play Romeo and Juliet or um uh, people like to play as a vampire and a werewolf who are forbidden from being together um but people also like to play just like you know people in like a very everyday situation where they just kind of know it's not going to work out um or they want to be like on opposite sides of the intergalactic war or um they want to be a, a brain parasite um living inside someone's uh, like a human being's mind or something um, so yeah, it can be absolutely anything. The whole point is just that you want to and you can't. Um, you put a Jenga tower in between you two, and then every time your character does something that increases the intimacy between you two, so whenever like you're in contact, whenever you touch, whenever you like reveal something personal about yourself, you have to pull a brick from the tower um, and put it on top like you do in Jenga. Um, and then if the tower falls, your characters act on their feelings. And whether or not that's a 
good thing. Kind of depends on how you've been playing and how many bricks you've pulled. There's like a way of figuring it out at the end. But generally speaking, the more bricks you pull, the more dramatic your outcome. So whether things just kind of fizzle and are awkward or whether things are like have huge earth shattering consequences um, depends on mostly on how many bricks you've pulled. Uh, so yeah, it has this kind of push your luck thing. You really like want these characters to get together, but at the same time, there is this like inherent risk. It's a game that makes people feel kind of fidgety and nervous and excited. And in my experience, very cute. It's a very, very cute series of playtests uh, putting this game together. I guess that's a good segue because I was wondering, because this is a two-player role-playing game, did that help or was that making things a little bit difficult during the playtest? Because usually with games that uh, can have like five people or so, uh, game developers bring a bunch of their friends in and they all give their feedback and they probably do this many times, but this is a two-player RPG. So did that help or hinder you and how did the whole playtesting work through, I'm sure, a year or two of development maybe? I'm so glad you asked because I had the time of my life playtesting this game. It was really, really, really fun. Um, when it was still just kind of like uh, some ideas, um, then I, uh, the person I was dating at the time, actually, I would be like, oh, I have this idea for it to work like this. or I have this idea. So we would just like play Jenga and like talk through story ideas and how, how could a character do this? How could a character do that? Um, so that was like very early, like alpha testing. And then what I discovered is that it was useful sometimes for me to play a game with someone, right? So if I had one other person who was interested in the game, then I could play test it. So that was really useful. And I did that a few times. But what I found really, really useful was observing other people mm -hmm. playing the game. Um, because then I could really get a sense of like, where, where are the exact points where they seem like they're having fun? Where are the points where they seem kind of stuck? Where are the points where they seem bored? Um, what, ha what, what do they get confused by? What do they get excited about? Um, but it's very, uh, it's a really specific interaction to just like watch two people play, um, a game about intimacy. And so the setup that I would do very consistently at conventions when I was playtesting, um, was to get like a standard table, get it somewhere kind of quiet and private, and then have two games running at the same time. So I'd always have four playtesters in with me that way if one person didn't show up then i could like tag into their partner and and um we could still run two games but ideally i would have two games running and then i could be unobtrusive enough that i could just sit there and make my notes and kind of be like just keeping an eye on them both um without feeling like i was interfering um and just let two two play tests play out basically so that was that was what we ended up doing it was always really entertaining i was like always blown away by the stuff that people came up with you know people would play like a two-man luge team and it would be super goofy and funny and then over here it would be like a therapist and their client or like something like really serious and like way too intense um so it's always neat to see what people come up with and also like it was neat because yeah, it was just cool to be able to do two playtests at once. So like, if you've ever sat through a playtest, you know, some of it is just kind of playing the game. And then occasionally there's little nuggets of like, oh, this is interesting, or, you know, this really works, this really doesn't. Um, but yeah, having two at once was kind of cool. And also it meant that like very early on, um, like I was playtesting this really before I had a working rules draft because I could just kind of tell people what to do and kind of be GMing it in a way. Um, but the final game is GMless. So once I had a rules text, then I could just hand people the text and eventually get to the point where I was like, don't 
ask me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, be like, just play. Even if you get confused, just do whatever. Keep playing. Just ignore me. I will just observe and take notes. Um, so that was kind of cool, too, because, you know, I could sort of get more and more hands off as playtesting went on. Yeah, I didn't really think about that before that. Because it's a GM-less RPG, that's probably very helpful because at the end of the day, when people get your game, obviously you're not going to be there to walk them through it. So just handing them a close uh, finished copy and and just seeing what happens if maybe they struggle with the rules or not, that probably helps out a lot. When you were playtesting it, role-playing with people is kind of like relationships in that there has to be a lot of trust uh, between them. Yeah. Did you find that playtesting with people, and maybe there wasn't much of a difference to get feedback, was it different when you sat down and watched two friends or maybe a couple play, then you look over at the other table and it's just two complete strangers or uh, not really? No, absolutely. And it was really important to me that I could work with both, right? I think, so I, I hear from lots of couples who play this game together and that's obviously like very sweet and I really cherish it. But I wanted to make sure that you didn't, need that and it wasn't just a game for couples that was really important to me um so so yeah so it was important that it worked even if these were complete random strangers and what i discovered is that because two people sitting down to the table don't have inherent trust in each other and so the what has to carry the load of trust is actually me and actually the game people have to have some trust that this game is going to look out for me in some way. I can trust that this is going to work. I can trust that like the mechanics of the game are not going to mess with me or betray me or leave me, um, you know, leave me high and dry with no way to sort of calibrate my experience. And, and again, me as the facilitator, they're trusting me that I've put together something worth playing and something that's going to be a good time. So it's actually kind of intense when I think about it, but you, you definitely got different kinds of games played um, with, with friends, with couples, with people who'd never met, but I think it was the, the the setup of the game always starts with a conversation, not just about what's the fictional situation that we want, but also like, what kind of tone are we going for? Like, do we want something that's more comedic? Do we want to play something really serious? Do we want to play something that's really sexy? Or do we want to keep it romantic, but like, you know, kind of um, uh, like not explicit? Uh, we eventually, a couple of times, I've gotten to run what we call Space Station Phobolex. Um, which is uh, me and Steve Segetti and Jason Morningstar put this together. Uh, it's like a set, uh, it's a bunch of pairs, of a bunch of characters that you can pair anyone off. Um, and it's a way of playing like 10 um, tables of Starcrossed in the same room and everyone's story takes place on the same space oh, wow. station. And what happens in everyone's story affects what's going on at everybody else's table. Uh, so it's really fun. But what's neat about that is that then you can get 20 strangers in a room. If anyone has come with a partner that they know they want to play with, then you just pair those people off and you put them over there. And for everyone else, you have them line up based on how silly to serious they want their game. And you have them line up shoulder to shoulder like that. And then you have them step forward or backward based on how uh, how sexy they want their game. If they want it like really like not sexy and not approaching any of that, then they step backward. If they want it to be very explicit, then they can step kind of step it forward. And then you like pair up whoever is physically closer to each other. It's like a human scatter plot. Um, so what's neat is that, uh, yeah, the game has to work. The game has to kind of bear some of the trust sometimes. 
um, that people know that the game is kind of assuring that they're going to have an okay time. But also, people are pretty able to calibrate like how much of themselves they're going to invest in the game. And if they want it to be very intimate and very serious and really heavy feelings, then then they kind of have to choose to do that and, and decide for themselves if they feel that kind of trust with their player. And if you just want to tell a story about like a cat and a dog, you know, or or uh, something that's very silly, silly and you're just, you know, two robots or whatever, um, then you can also do that. Right. So like uh, it needs to ideally it, it can't rely on a high level of trust between players because that's not guaranteed. But it does have to make sure that people can calibrate their play based on how much trust they have for the other player, if that makes sense. The, the way you put it, that does sound like a super fun time to like play test this game. I uh, just kind of orchestrate yeah. everything. And I love the idea of kind of putting all these mini stories on one space station, kind of like an anthology, like TV show or something. Mm -hmm. So it does sound really fun. What is really cool about this, obviously, is the Jenga Tower. And there's not enough RPGs that use the Jenga Tower. And I assume mm -hmm. this was very much inspired by the horror icon Dread. Oh, yes, absolutely. Oh, yes. Okay. Um, it, like, it started out basically just as like, oh, I'll write a playset for Dread um, oh. that is about falling in love because that's the scariest thing in the world, yeah. obviously, is having feelings. Um, so it started out, I just tried to write it for Dread. And then as the development went on, I was like, oh, this is actually really different from Dread. Like, mm. the only thing it really has in common um, the is the tower and some of the character building questions, um, sort of. So, like... Dread has a GM, the way the reasons why you pull a brick are different. It's telling a different kind of story. So it it diverged pretty strongly. But when I was making this, as far as I knew, Dread was the only Jenga-based RPG. It was the only uh game that used a tower. So uh it was like really Dread's thing. Um so I actually reached out to Epidiah Ravichal, um, who's like someone I really admire and Dread, but also like lots of his other games. Um like Worlds Without Masters, phenomenal. Um, I just ordered my copy of Wolf Spell. I'm very excited. So I was like huge fan of his, right? And um, so I was like, hey, here's this game that I'm working on. Is it okay with you if I publish it? Like, obviously I won't, you know, if you think it's too similar to yours. And yeah, he responded just being like, this looks amazing. Oh my God, this looks so cool. Please publish it. Um, and uh, somewhere, actually, we got to meet at a convention, I think, um, maybe shortly after that. And so somewhere there's a tower, there's a picture of me and Epidiah Ravichal staring each other down over a tower, <laughs> a Jenga tower. And um, yeah, so that's, yeah, Dread was definitely a huge influence on me in many ways. I guess that kind of answers my next question. I was going to ask if there was any points during development that you considered going, ah, I, I want to try using standard dice or cards or anything, but it sounds mm -hmm. like from the very beginning, obviously since it was originally written for Dread, it was always going to use yeah. the Jenga Tower, which works perfectly for the setting and the game mechanics. So I guess my next question would be, and this is actually a question for my fiance Leah, she was wondering, have you since uh, developing Starcross considered making any other role-playing games using the Jenga Tower but set in a different genre? Or if you have not, and if you had to come up with a role-playing game, what genre would you use to use a Jenga Tower for? That's not horror-based or uh, like Starcrossed. This is a good question because uh, the next game that I made after Starcrossed um, is called For the Queen. And 
if if you pick up that game now in its final form, it's just like a bunch of questions. It's a, a card deck with prompts on it. You just pull questions from the deck, um, you answer them in character, and that's how you build your story. But the first draft of that game, which I wrote one morning, uh, immediately upon waking up, seized uh, with passion, um, actually had a, a Jenga tower in it. So in the first version of the game, there was a bunch of dice. You rolled a bunch of dice at the end for some reason to see if the queen lived or not. I don't really remember. Um, and all of the prompt cards were still there. But there was some... The tower... It was like, if the tower falls, the queen is dead. Something like that, I think. Um, or like, the, the queen gets attacked. Right. So at the end of For the Queen, you pull a card that says, the queen is under attack. Do you defend her? I think in the first draft of that game... Whenever the tower falls, the queen is attacked, and then you have to decide if you defend her or not. Um, and it just didn't work, and it, it just didn't make sense. Um, so that that only survived, that did not survive the first playtest. The first time we playtested it, we were like, no, this game is just, the, the, the questions on the cards are the interesting part. The, the Jenga tower doesn't really feed into it. Um, so we kind of left it aside, um, and I never came back to it. But yes, that's the only other time that I've tried to design with the tower in mind, because... Yeah, for some reason, I thought that was should be an important part of the game. Can you, so can you talk to us about uh, the lead and the follow? Um, so at every uh, game, someone chooses to be the lead who starts a scene, basically di uh, the director call an action, and uh, the other player gets to be the follow who ends the scene, basically calls cut on the scene. Was that very on development? You had the idea to implement this in? Or when did that come across in development? And why is it an important part of the game for it to be in there? These are good questions. I actually don't really remember when the lead and the follow first started to be a thing in the design. I don't remember how, how early on that was. Um, mostly it's a way to resolve two questions, which is um, who goes first in a turn-based thing? And also who... How do we end the scene? Because Starcrossed is structured as a series of eight scenes, you need someone to be able to say, okay, cut. And like, in a GM'd game, that's very easy to do because that's just the GM's job. In a two-player game where you're trying to sort of both have equal power, it's difficult for either person to say, okay, we're done now because you're like, oh, I don't want to cut you off. Or like, you know, if you have something more to say, like you should please. Um, so it's like, it's useful to give that job and give that permission, basically, to one player. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And I think there are very obvious things to say about, like, top and bottom and, like, dom and sub when you're talking about, like, a co-created kind of, like, um, uh, like a, a storytelling that involves, like, desire. Definitely. But the fact is, I had also been, like, swing dancing uh, for a few years at that point. And had just gotten into blues dancing and was really into like waltz for a little while. Um, so partnered dancing is really interesting because it gives you a lot of freedom to be really creative with another person because you both know what your sort of basic responsibilities are. Um, so if you're uh, if you're leading right in swing dance, like you are kind of responsible for making sure that your uh, that your follow is safe. Um, and doesn't like, you know, if you're going to throw them out and spin them, you have to make sure you're not throwing them into anyone or anything. And like, uh, you know, that you're catching them if if you're doing like a toss or whatever. So you have that. But then like the 
that doesn't mean that you have all the power. Like you initiate, but you don't actually decide what happens. You initiate what move is about to happen, but it's really up the fall up to the follow to like attend very carefully to that, to like put a flare on that, to put a spin on that. You're the one who's actually throwing yourself out there and like deciding how you're going to execute a move. So that was really interesting to me. And uh, um, so I think a lot of that actually like feeds into the way that lead and follow works. And I am interested in the way that like a slightly asymmetrical experience can kind of like give people permission, right? Permission to like, to, to call something or permission to like initiate something or whatever. That's interesting. So on that note, that's, yeah, I would never think about that, that uh, swing dance is a perfect way to kind of compare to the lead and follow in their roles and how they have to trust each other to play this game. Was there anything, maybe not necessarily like swing dancing, but was there anything else that inspired uh, your creation of this or any game mechanics that's uh, not dread? Um, was there any uh, movies, TV shows, books, or real-life events like swing dancing? Um, whatever things it helped inspire this game. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So the, um, I was in inspired by so many games. Um, Hot Guys Making Out uh, is a game that uses really like asymmetrical um, two-player play to make a more interesting dynamic. Like that game is more interesting because the different, the two different roles have really different things to do um, in a way that I think also like plays with a really intense power dynamic without like replicating it between the players. Like it's equally fun for both players. Um, but you, it just kind of add something to it. So that was interesting to me. And I wanted to do something like that. And, um, I mean, the game Kagamatsu was something that I ran a million times when I was first getting into role-playing games. And obviously in terms of just like what really makes a game feel romantic, like all of Emily Care Boss's work, um, in particular, Breaking the Ice, Breaking the Ice had a really, really like big impact on me, um, when I first played it. And, uh, it, um... Uh, Avery Alder's A Place to Fuck Each Other sorry I'm going to swear on your podcast okay. um, uh, is is a, also a really interesting game it's actually a three player game but uh, the way that it sort of like is able to let things hang and uh, label able to like uh, encourage ambiguity um, that was a big inspiration to me um, in terms of like Starcross stuff I like there are definitely some stories that were um, a big influence on me in the mood for love Wong Kar Wai's in the mood for love is a game is a sorry a, a movie about people not getting together like it's a very very sexy movie about people not having sex and that was really important to me I was like cool I want it to be fun and cool and satisfying and interesting um to to not give the audience what they want uh, so like that was that was huge. But honestly, I'm really, really into romance now. I love romance novels now, but I actually wasn't um, at the time when I was uh, when I was making Starcrossed. And so I really tried as much as possible to not make it about love stories and not make it about um, like media or narratives and really to try to make it about life and really um, started getting really, really analytical about like how flirting works. <laughs> And figure out how to like replicate that and really thinking about like, who am I close with in my life? And how did I feel? How did I end up feeling close with them? Um, and then putting that into the game. So as slightly embarrassing as it is for me personally, sometimes they're actually, um, there's actually a lot of me and my real life uh, in this game about um, 
forbidden romance. So do you feel like if you were more into romance novels or uh, maybe you watch a ton of romance, uh, romantic uh, rom-com movies, do you feel like maybe the uh, game would be a lot different? Do you feel like not being in romance novels at that time definitely helped your creation of it? Maybe you wouldn't have been, if you read the novels, maybe you've been pushed down a different avenue by following tropes of the romance novel genre, maybe? about that because um one of the reasons that i love romance and the appeal of the genre is because you are guaranteed pretty much most of the time guaranteed a happily ever after like authors will put this in like the description of the book be like these characters get together and that's part of what i like about it because you just go in you're like nothing terrible is gonna happen <laughs> like you know feelings will be hurt there'll be angst but ultimately they're going to end up together and that's okay. So I can just relax and just enjoy the story as it's being told. And then the, um, you know, in the same way that like in a mystery, you expect to know what happens. You expect to be able to solve the mystery by the end of the book and you find out who the killer is or whatever, right? It's just part of like the contract of how you engage with that genre. So like that's what makes romance so like fun and comforting and like cool to read is figuring out, okay, how are they going to get these two people together? They don't like each other. They have all this stuff in the way. Um, how, how's it going to work out? Because you know it's going to work out. Um, so I, I, I wonder if that would have influenced me. Probably. I, I think it would be a different game if I tried to make it about romance instead of about relationships, um, like capital R romance as a genre. I think the game, the game of writing your own romance novel would be fun and maybe I should do that actually um but it would be very different because it would be about com starting from the place that like these characters are going to get together and then figuring out what's keeping them apart and then the fun is in like how how do we bridge that distance how do we make it happen so it would just be so different it would be a completely different and it definitely would not have a Jenga tower in it it would have something that you could predict <laughs> yeah that's fair um what's I love about this game uh, more than anything probably is the creative way people and the examples in your book uh, different combinations of characters that really want to get together but they can't for some reason there is just one I'm not sure if it's mentioned in the book but there's a really nice uh, piece of art in the book that has like a flame person and an ice person and that uh, without knowing much about them we know instantly why they can't get together and it's just there's so many great ideas you can go off this because you definitely let people know that you don't have to make them based off any real people or it doesn't have to be said in the modern age. It could be whatever you want. Uh, seeing this game being played probably maybe hundreds of times, have you seen any um, combinations of characters that you fought that just stuck with you just how creative they were? And what were some of those things? Yes, yes. And I should really start writing these down somewhere because when I encounter them, they're amazing and brilliant and creative. And then I can never remember them. I think I already mentioned that, like, um, that there was a set of players who literally played. Um, it was someone who was. Uh, OK, so there's a human being who is like terminally ill and knows that he's not going to be around for very long. And, uh, and there's various stuff that's happening with him because of his illness and he's like getting weaker and like is having challenges with like pain and mobility. And, uh, and then there's this alien brain parasite that comes from a world where, uh, 
like her whole species is in the symbiotic relationship with this animal and that animal, not them, that animal is going extinct. And so the, the brain parasite species has sent out all these scouts to different planets to be like, hey, can you check out these other species and see if they would be a good fit? Maybe we can propose some kind of symbiotic thing with them. And so this brain parasite goes to this guy and says, hey, there's lots of advantages to having me in your brain. Um, like you will have a longer life. You will have strength. You will have like more mobility and less pain. Um, and I just need to live in your brain. And I don't have to stay. It's totally up to you. But it's just for us to like find out. And then I'll send a report back to my people. And the guy goes, okay. And then so the brain parasite is kind of just like a voice in his head and has some influence over what happens with his body, but not a lot. And uh, and then they fall in love. And to me, what makes it interesting is not just that it's incredibly high concept sci-fi. It's that there isn't a rule anywhere that says those two people can't fall in love. It's just unheard of. It's never happened to anyone in her species. It's obviously never happened to this human guy. And they really just have this question of like, how are we in love? What will we do? How will how how could we even make a relationship? It's not like someone saying we can't have a relationship. It's just that we don't even know what that's going to look like. And to me, that is so beautiful and interesting and strange and like trying to figure out, okay, what can we do? How can we actually be together? Um is 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 interesting and is really like worth exploring. Um, so that is that is honestly that's my all time favorite game to me. That that's the one that stuck with me most. That is a good one. Very creative. I yeah. Now just hearing you talk about uh, working on these playthroughs with people, I feel like you probably have one of the best jobs in that in in uh, creating this game. In that you just get to sit back and watch people come up with these amazing creative stories with these incredible concepts and. You've probably seen so many different genres, settings, time periods, and everything like that. So that is that is really awesome. And because like with some people I've talked to, that they all they do they didn't even get the chance to like run their own campaigns of Dungeons Dragons or whatever game because they're only playtesting their game. I feel like you know after a while it must get it must drag a little bit. But this sounds like super fun to work on and go to cons and play these different games with people. Um, so. Step away from Starcross for a second. Um, last couple of questions. Uh, besides uh, writing Starcrossed, what have what? And you talked a little bit about. Uh, you said For the Queen was the name. Yes. For the Queen. Yeah. So for, yeah, For the Queen was another game that I put out, and then there's been a couple of others since then. I saw. So this is a true story. I'm not making this up. A couple months ago, I went to Barnes and Nobles and I picked up a book. Uh, the ultimate micro RPG book. And I was like, this is mm -hmm. amazing because in Vermont where I live, unfortunately, every bookstore you go to is only Dungeons & Dragons. There's no indie games out there. It's very sad. Um, so I saw this. I picked up. I'm like, this is amazing. It's going to work so good for this podcast. And I was looking through. I picked out one. I tore it off the book. I set aside, this is a game we're going to play soon. And we just didn't get around to, but we're playing on soon. I'm not lying. I went on your website to see whatever games you worked on and i saw hero dog saves a town and i was like oh my god <laughs> this is the game i tore out like a couple months ago as the first game to play i was like that is so perfect like right before talking that's to you so cool <laughs> oh wow oh i'm so glad yeah oh that's so nice it makes you feel great yeah I, so it's gonna hero definitely dog push us a plan wow 
I hope you have fun with it because <laughs> that is, um, yeah, that is a great book full of some really incredible mm. games. Honestly, like, I just encourage everyone to go out and get that book because there's it's like 35 games or something like that by some really incredible designers, all different tones, all different genres, and all of them are like two pages, right? And um, and so you can you can pick them up and play them you, like in in 20 minutes. Um, you can be ready to play. And most of them are quite short. Like you could sit down with friends and play two or three, four games in an evening. So it's an amazing collection, beautiful collection. Um, and I wish more people played it because, yeah, there's some really cool stuff in there. I'm looking at my copy right now. It's so cool. Um, so, yeah, I really I'm glad that that gets into people's hands. And it was very satisfying for me because um, I really, really love the Canadian old television show from the 70s called the littlest hobo it is about a dog that goes from town to town solving people's problems and saving the day and talking about like the romance genre like talking about media where you know everything is going to be okay in the end that's littlest hobo no matter what you know no matter what problem is facing these people uh, this dog will fix it and he's going to be real cute and real brave and he's going to fix it every single time. No exceptions. He always wins. He always saves the day. So like, to me, it is the ultimate comfort food. It is, it is pea soup. Like I just, mm, it's so just relaxing and like really weirdly like slow paced. Cause it's like old low budget Canadian television. Mm. So getting to make like the, un the unofficial unlicensed, um, uh, littlest hobo, rpg it was a real dream come true for me so i hope you have fun with it yeah i think we will and definitely because it is we're gonna play it very soon uh i meant to play mm -hmm. it as first and we just didn't get around to it but now this is a perfect uh tip-off point to actually sit down and play it and it looks fun and i did not know about that show but it seems like you said it's the unofficial rpg for the littlest hobo do you yeah. can you spoil anything of any future games that you are currently working on or are planning to write soon yes absolutely um come follow me on patreon or follow me on twitter at muscular pikachu uh send me an email i don't know i should really have an email newsletter but uh come and follow me because right now i am playtesting a game called for the cube uh which is a follow-up to for the queen about a horrible cube that you hate um and that i hate i loathe this cube and i'm obsessed with it and i made a game about it and um you play a bunch of people uh burdened by this horrible cube trying to deliver it to its owner and be free of it um it is bleak it is really unhappy and subsequently it's very funny um the first playtest people were just like like cackling with laughter because it's just so sad you have to laugh this is hard to explain so um uh hopefully i will be doing broader playtesting of that soon so everyone please get in on it i'm very excited about for the cube i'm also collaborating with my good buddy paul smith um who uh this is like his first time uh making an rpg and we're working on it and it's called baseball episode because i really really love in a tv show when for no reason um, all of the characters play baseball together. Uh, this happens on like Star Trek Deep Space Nine. There's a really good Samurai Champloo episode. There's like a Sailor Moon baseball episode. There's a Grey's Anatomy baseball episode. Um, so basically we're designing a game where you can take the character from a campaign that you've already played or that you're in the middle of, um, or the characters from a game that you've played before, and you make them play baseball. And they have a silly time and they have fun and it doesn't matter whether you win or lose. It's how you play the game. 
Um, so that has been a really, really fun playtesting process. It's been a fun design process. Um, uh, I like collaborating, um, and I'm pretty excited about how it's going. So yeah, for the cube and baseball episode are the, are the new exciting ideas in progress. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Those both sound very exciting and very fun. And my last question, what tips do you have for inspiring writers who want to write, uh, write their own games? Cause right now we're in a awesome phase of role-playing games in that there are so many great indie role-playing games out there and um because of uh, many different things uh, especially with kickstarter and uh, people able to collaborate online people are able to play tests and uh, develop their games and get funding for games uh, to develop them more than like even 10 years ago when there was much less games out there by small indie Mm -hmm. creators so uh, if people have a great idea they can make it if they're able to put their heart and time into it so uh, what tips do you have for people out there who want to finally get to sit down and write their game they've always dreamed of creating okay two things one play test as soon as possible even if it's like not done even if you're not sure oh i want to no Just like as soon as you have the idea to the point where you could probably run it for your friends, play test it. Like just ASAP. Just make it happen. Um, It's the most important thing. It's the most fun thing. It's the most satisfying thing. It's the only thing that will actually tell you whether or not your game like fundamentally works or whether you should play around with something else. So play test, play test, play test as soon as possible. It is fun. It is good. Please do it. But that's number one. Number two is actually the more important thing which is connect with other people, connect with other people who are playing around with game design, connect with people who are more experienced than you, connect with new players, connect with experienced players, connect with anyone who shares your interest, because that is the way that you will, A, find people to work with and to look over your stuff or to talk about your ideas with and and play test games with you um, and co-develop games with you, but also like it's just what feeds you. It's what it's what sustains you, you know, working on something with, you know, tunnel vision on and just but like, it's just so difficult to sustain. Honestly, like just connect, 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 play other games, play other people's games, play games with different players, play different systems, like just stay rooted. It, it's, it's hard right now. And it feels like the whole community is online. Um, and, you know, you have to be like, it's hard right now. But do it, whether it's online, whether it's like in, you know, whatever way feels right, like connect with other people who are playing and making games because of that is will make will make it fun and satisfying. It is very important. Yes, that's my that's my big advice. And uh, thank you very much, Alex, for coming on. And where can people find your work, but also you if maybe on social media or uh, where else can people check you out in your work? Sure. Yeah. Um, you can go to helloalexroberts.com. Um, I like to keep stuff updated there or patreon.com slash helloalexroberts. Um, uh, if you just want to sign up for updates there, try to keep people updated on what I'm up to and what's happening. Um, you can also go to helloalexroberts on Instagram. I usually post about stuff there. Um, I mostly just post pictures of flowers, but sometimes it's games. And then on Twitter, uh, if you're a Twitter person, you can follow me there. I'm at Muscular Pikachu, and uh, I mostly just tweet nonsense, but occasionally, again, it is games-related. 
Awesome. And I will be putting down um, Alex's uh, Patreon and her website down in the description below if you missed that and you want to check out the rest of her games. Uh, thank you very much, Alex, for coming on the podcast and talking to me. Thank you so much for having me. This is really nice. Yeah, it was nice talking to you. And uh, for everyone else out there, like I said, descriptions are the links in the description below and uh, check out our next episode, which will be the finale to uh, mine and Leah's playthrough of Starcross. And then check out very soon. I think actually I'm getting the guys together this weekend. So I think we might actually finally get to sit down and play Hero Dog Saves the Town this weekend. So yes. there'll be an actual awesome. play out probably next week for that. So check that out very soon. Uh, thanks everyone for listening. And we'll hear from you next time on the Beer and Pretzel Podcast. Thank you.